Hello, this is Dr. Benjamin Smith, lecturer in philosophy with Catholic Studies Academy. Welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our podcast where we examine the 2,000-year-old uh, Catholic intellectual tradition. Today, I am joined by our special guest, uh, Mr. Joseph Grossheim, graduate student in philosophy at the Center for Thomistic Studies in Houston, Texas. In our previous uh, episode, we discussed um, the Aristotelian thesis, our principle, that uh, nature acts for an end. Uh, that is, so we, we spent some time working on natural teleology or natural finality and really working through um, what, what Aristotle has to say in the physics about uh, natural finality. Um, that was, I think, a really good discussion. I really enjoyed it. I hope that uh, our listeners did too. Um, uh, once you sort of get that, you know, you know it's a really important claim, right? It's a really different view of uh, nature, uh, to be sure, than probably the, the you know, modern uh, view of nature. Um, so it's kind of enriching in that way. And I think it also just helps us to understand the world better, um, to have a truer picture, right, of nature. But certainly also, you know, if, you know, if you've paid attention at all, recognize that natural teleology is the foundation for uh, uh, the natural law, right? And that is for, for understanding of virtue ethics and objective ethics and all that sort of thing. So really critical premise, a really critical sort of theory idea. Uh, today, we're going to expand on that. Uh, last time, at the end of our conversation, we talked about the idea that the, that natural finality, once you've accepted it, opens you up to um, the fifth way, that is to arguments about natural theology, uh, natural um, uh, sort of metaphysics, um, you know, leading really to, should lead one to recognize the existence of God. I think, you know, the, the, uh, so we're going to talk about here the fifth way, right? But before we do that, we're going to kind of recap a little bit uh, our discussion from last time. Joe, do you want to maybe uh, say a couple of things about how we proceeded last time? Just yeah, well, points. what I might want to point out is, is uh, what's at stake here? Uh, you pointed mm -hmm. out a little bit of it, right? That um, if there's no, uh, order of things uh mm -hmm. the natural law is at stake and what we mean is that we lose any concrete uh measure of human action we're going to have to right. come up with something else right. and that's where uh classical ethics breaks down into modern ethics and all of mm -hmm. its problems right so sure uh, if we don't have a teleology of things, uh, we have no way of knowing whether they've reached their proper perfection, right? We've right. got to yep. make something up. That's um, right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's one thing, right? The mm -hmm. other thing is that really all of science depends upon yes. order in nature, <laughs> right? That's right. Um, right. Right. So if you, if you want to say that at the bottom of things, right, mm -hmm. is pure randomness that it just happens to work out this way right uh you cannot draw necessary true and certain conclusions about the way things are you can just say mm -hmm. well this is what my observation is i hope mm -hmm. that your mm -hmm. observation and your peer review of my observation <laughs> right. is the same right mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. and then we can get sort of like a, a likely account of what's seems to be happening right mm -hmm. now right, <laughs> that's right, a lot sure, of qualifications sure. that's you know? right yeah uh so uh yeah, there so, are problems yeah, with that i think yeah yeah absolutely so kind of what you're pointing to is like that our, our our sort of relative certitude about science and science of the natural 
presupposes a structure right yeah. in which there is this kind of ordered you know order really yeah uh, to yeah you, you want to study electrons and how they mm -hmm. how they work right well uh if they don't always work the same if they don't have a <laughs> yeah, nature right, right? Mm -hmm. you're not you can't get very far right that's right uh, yeah. so yeah. i think it's 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 not only important it's actually presupposed it's by presupposed, anyone who's yeah. really yeah. studying science um yeah I think that's true. Uh, even uh, to, to, to maybe go one step further, I think, you know, the reliability of our own reason, right. So sort it of presupposes that reasons ordered to the end of truth right? Uh, and towards the end of like, if it's not, if it's just sort of this kind of, you know, necessary outcome or byproduct, right. That may or may not be ordered to anything. Right. Then we really can't count on it. You know, the reliability of that power, right. Being naturally inclined, uh, towards uh, truth and reality so yeah that's a premise with a lot of um, permutations and consequences yeah that's right uh, so the question now is if we have correctly identified that mm -hmm. nature acts for an end uh, I suppose the question is uh, what what are the implications that's right right yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, where does reason take us from from that established fact that nature acts mm -hmm. for an end uh, what's the next question, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, I think the next question is, well, given, right. That we have established that, that nature acts for an end. Why, right. <laughs> why right. does it do so? What is the cause? Now, one thing we want to straighten out very clearly, I think from the beginning is saying that nature acts for an end doesn't mean that trees are may, are having intentions, Right uh or that they are choosing right we're not we're not implying that correct joe right right so uh we just mean that there is a uh regular directedness or mm -hmm. or uh, i don't want to use the word order again but mm -hmm. um that they act always or for the most part so as to achieve the best results right? that's we good yeah, say, yeah right yeah the best result for the kind of thing they are yes right? yes yes and and that's i think that's that's again really enriching and interesting right in its own right to think about nature as as this kind of um, force, actuality, energy that strives towards a certain kinds of it's a striving towards a certain kinds of perfection, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's embedded naturally into things. Uh, I'm using words like striving, right? Like, yeah, you yeah. can't help it almost, right? <laughs> it's kind of like when scientists talk about you know um, DNA, you know. Um, signaling right well they're not like over there with flags right <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you know we, we kind of have to use these metaphors somewhat anthropomorphic metaphors but the reality isn't just a projection of the anthropomorphic and i think that's what's key right mm -hmm. and, and and again we know that from the arguments we dealt with last time you know in natural philosophy showing that you know randomness is not a sufficient account of nature uh even determinism is not a sufficient account that really teleology is the, the best account. So given that that's the case, why is it the case? Why is it that nature is this sort of intrinsic reality, a reality intrinsic to natural substances, pushing towards an end, right? Inclined, right? There's almost, this is a little bit uh, yeah. anachronistic, but there's a kind of, and I think this is really interesting. There's a kind of kinetic, right? Feel to nature. You know, sometimes I'm sure you've heard this, Joe, you know, people sort of kind of, especially some philosophers or theologians, kind of rolling their eyes at the static Aristotelian world, right? You know, and I was like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Because right? <laughs> like, like, the truth is, 
you know, I mean, when like Aristotle's picture of nature is, is it, it is a kind of energy, right? That's intrinsic to natural substances and bodies. Yeah. Uh, working itself out. Yeah. It right? drives them forward to their perfection, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a principle of motion. It's the opposite. Yeah. Aesthetic, right. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so it's in that sense, I think it gives you a really, as I say, a profound and enriched understanding of nature. Um, but also it sort of opens us up to this broader question of, wow, it's fascinating that this is true. You know, I mean, I think, you know, I think you and I share this view that one of the first things you really need to get really clear when you're studying Aristotle, we always want to jump to other things, right? But this is to get nature first. Like once you get nature, then a lot of other things open up, right? And, and you know, maybe there's other starting points. We don't have to get into that argument, but it really does help, right? Uh, to get that, that view of nature down clear, clearly. And then once you do, you say, okay, why? Like, the, here's this fascinating reality, nature why is it like this? <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, so um, the text that you had in mind to look at, right, we're talking about this, um, this inclination, right, mm-hmm, and what mm-hmm. it means and how, how it could or doesn't relate to uh, the intentionality that we usually uh, use to discuss these terms for like human actions, right? That's right. That's right. Um, so it might be helpful to point out that um, like Aristotle and St. Thomas following him will use the word appetite to mm-hmm. talk, not just about like a human appetite. Like that's the way, you know, most of us and our listeners are going to think about the word. Like I have an appetite, mm-hmm. uh, a desire, uh, an inclination to go get food, let's say. Right. That's right. the most baseline definition of appetite we have now. But he'll also talk about. Uh, this might seem strange to us, but a, a natural appetite that uh, non-living substances mm-hmm. have, right? So like right. Uh, a rock has mm-hmm. a natural appetite, right? Mm-hmm. Not to eat or do right, anything that right, living right. things do, but to uh, fall to the ground, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so mm-hmm. they would have said, or maybe today we would say to uh, move towards the local center of gravity, sure, right? Sure. Such that that's what the rock sort of quote unquote wants to do. Right, right. Right. Yeah. But we have yeah. to be careful with this word sure. wants. Right? right. We don't want That's to imply right. that a rock is choosing something, but mm-hmm. rather that it just does something as long as you don't prevent it. That's right. right? Yeah. And similarly, I mean, I think uh, that's a good example. You know, living things are a good example. Right. In terms of the, you know, the <clears throat> the tree wants to uh, extend its roots down into the fertile soil. Um, as that seed is developing, it has an appetite to do so, mm-hmm. right? Uh, its nutritive powers are exercised, you know, in that, uh, or given the opportunity to exercise in that way. Um, we would add, of course, also, uh, you know, with the sun uh, as well, uh, reaching up towards the sun, right? We would mm-hmm. use that language, reaching up towards, right? The sun, mm-hmm. we talk yeah. about the arms of a tree. It's, it, you know, that's, of course, for us going from what's more known to us, Right. To something else. So as long as you don't make the mistake of applying those terms univocally, right? You know, you're saying, "Oh, it wants in the way I want." Okay, then you're okay. I think what it maybe helps to alleviate some of that worry about the the anthropomorphic language there is to recognize that actually our version of wanting is a smaller subset of the broader phenomena of wanting, right? So that not you know, action for an end right, is so much broader than human action for an end, right? In fact, in the sea of finality that exists, okay, we're smaller 
than the vast finality that we're surrounded by that doesn't use direct intentions or volitions or thoughts. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so we would then want to establish that there's this broad category of things that move to an end. Mm -hmm. And in that category, there's a subcategory of things that move towards an end and know that they are moving toward an end, right? That, that, that directly even choose mm -hmm. uh, the actions that they're going to, uh, that are going to be productive of that end. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that kind of helps you recognize, right. That we're not just anthropomorphizing here, right. We're using anthropomorphic language because it helps us to understand, but we're yep. using that of a reality that really is there. Right. Yep. Um, so once we've uh, kind of maybe cleared up that possible mistake, we're still left with this really fascinating um, question of, well, why is it that nature acts this way, right? Um, and one thing, you know, you, you could say, but this is kind of a, I don't know, hand-waving kind of answer is, well, it's nature, it just does, right? <laughs> okay, but that's not really an answer, is it, right? I mean, you know, nature's come into, are generated and, and corrupt, right? Uh, they come into being, they cease to be, um, so we, we still have that phenomenon is why is it that nature is such, right. Yeah. That it acts for an end. Uh, and I think, um, I think, you know, Thomas has an answer to this, that, that really elevates our consideration. We've been acting as physicists or natural philosophers, right. In the language of Aristotle, once you start looking at what Aquinas has to say about this, we start to act like natural theologians, right. We begin to see, we begin to see a reduction you know, a, a line of argumentation that actually leads up to the first cause, right? Uh, this time, though, the first cause in the order of finality. So if you're familiar at all with like the five ways of Thomas Aquinas, um, we're going to be dealing with what's called the fifth way here in a few minutes. But in order to understand why the fifth way makes so much sense, right, there's the fifth way of arguing for the existence of God, it's helpful to us to kind of move slowly from the fact of nature acting for an end to why uh, it, it does so. Yeah, and why, um, well, maybe what would be helpful here is to consider an example from the text, right? Which okay. is the the arrow. Yes. I yeah, think that's yeah, maybe that's a good great. place to start. Um, sure. And I think I think I used a similar example last time. Yeah. Uh, when we were on, we were talking about this. I talked about Mars and if we found like a, 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 an ordered position in the stones on the ground, like if you found like a, on Mars, a series of concentric circles of stones, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we would recognize that that order does not belong to the stones right, uh, right. to have, right? That, but that if there's some sort of order there, that order requires an explanation because the, the stone is mm -hmm. not the explanation, right? Um, so uh, the arrow, right? Sure. If you want to talk about like the substance of it, what is it? Mm -hmm. Well, it's wood. And what is its natural appetite to fall to the ground, you know, right, just like right. just like the stone. So mm -hmm. if they have if we have a wooden shaft that's being directed to something else mm -hmm. like the bullseye. Right. Mm -hmm. That's going to require some sort of account outside of the arrow. Right? That's right. We're going to that's need right. some sort of mind to assign that function. Right. right. That that perfection to the to the shaft. That's right. So another way. Yeah. Another maybe way of putting this is that. Um, the the ratio of wood is not a sufficient explanation for wood 
hitting a target in the same place at a regular basis. Right, right, right. right. Um, like you could know everything there is to know about wood and you wouldn't say, oh, it's going to do that. Right, right. right. Um, that pushes you to look for something else. So here's this passage that I think helps us to understand all of this. Uh, and this is in um, what's called the first part of the second part in Latin, uh, uh, the prima secunda. Um, this is the section really uh, of the Summa that deals primarily with uh, questions about human action and ethics and morality and that sort of thing, um, uh, as well as uh, the passions and so forth. Uh, but along the way, Thomas, you know, um, uh, includes comments that that illumine other parts of his work. Um, and here in the opening uh, questions and articles, he's dealing with human action and action for an end. Uh, and he asks in uh, question one, article two, whether it is proper to the rational nature to act for an end. Now, when Thomas uses the term proper here, I think most of the time, you correct me if you think I'm wrong about this, uh, Joe, but most of the time here, proper means something like specific to. Right. That's right? exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he's asking, is it specific to rational nature to act for an end? Now, of course, he's going to affirm, and he does uh, uh, in the article one, that human beings, that is rational animals, act for an end, right? And then he's going he's to use all of this account of human action in his you know, detailed work in ethics. But in Article Two, he wants to correct a, uh, you know, a, a possible misunderstanding as well as deepen what he's established in Article One, because he's actually going to say it's not specific right, uh, to the rational nature to act for an end. So if you don't get that idea, the proper, the the correct understanding of proper there, you might kind of be thrown off a little bit, right? Um, because it's not specific to human beings to act for an end. It is specific to human beings among creatures to act for an end in a certain way, right? But but not just simply to act for an end, right? Right. And so uh, the difference he wants to draw out uh, in this in this question or this article rather is that the uh, the rational nature, the nature which knows, uh, moves to an end uh, by itself or mm-hmm. um, um, not as directed by another. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a sort of self-directed thing. That's right. right? That's right. But there's an immediate question that you might have, right? And that's that, isn't the rock self-directed to the ground, right? Isn't that what we mean by saying that the rock has mm-hmm. a nature? Yeah, right? yeah. So what does Thomas mean here by uh, being uh, moved, moving yourself to an end rather than being moved by another to an end? Right, yeah, that's a good setup here. So what I'm going to do is just, read through the first part of his answer and then we'll stop and uh, discuss it and then move it on to the second part. So he says, I answer that every agent notice he says every agent, right? Every agent of necessity acts for an end. You know, why is this for if, if a number of causes ordained to one another, the first be removed, the other must of necessity be removed also. Now the first of all causes is the final cause. Can we maybe just pause on that point? I think we might want to explain that, right? What he means when he says that uh, if in a number of causes ordained to one another, the first be removed, the others of necessity must be removed also. Um, Aristotle gives a good uh, example of this in the beginning of the Nicomachean Ethics. He he talks about um, the art of horsemanship and what it's ordered to or the making of horseshoes or bridles. Mm-hmm. I think it is. That's that's even yeah. prior to that. Right. So uh, if you are going to make 
horse bridles, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, there has to be a reason why nobody makes them for their own sake. And of course, the reason why you're going to make horse bridles is so that you can ride horses, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If there was no need ever to ride sure. a horse, let's say a horse didn't exist, <laughs> you'll not make horse bridles, that's right. right? So that's what that's it is. Right. You say if it, in a number of causes that are ordained to another, for example, horse bridle making and horsemanship right horse Mm -hmm. bridles are being ordained to the purpose of riding horses if you remove the first not the first in the order of execution but the first in terms of the intention behind the action if you Mm -hmm. remove horsemanship that's right there will be no bridle making that's right right that's what that's what we're saying here yeah yeah that's good um so uh and that and what you're pointing out here is as horsemanship is the, in this, in the, in your example, would be this first of the causes is the final cause, right? Exactly. So a, right. Okay. So uh, the reason is that matter does not receive form, so metal wouldn't receive the form of a bridle, save insofar as it is moved by an agent, for nothing reduces itself from potency to act. Now, that's just basic kind of Aristotelian, you know, natural philosophy. Uh, there, you know, we have your very, your, you know, hylomorphic unity, you have form and matter, you know, matter doesn't reduce itself to form, rather the form has to be imposed upon the matter by an agent. Right, right. So if you have the potentially hot water, that water itself cannot make itself to be actually hot, right? We need something else to make it actually hot. It doesn't just happen on its own, right? Yeah, yeah. And if you've ever been sort of backpacking and anxiously awaiting for the, you know, for the coffee to actually make, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like the only time instant coffee actually tastes good. Like you, you know, the water is just potentially hot. It's not really hot until, you know, until, until you've put enough fire to it. Right. Right. Uh, to make it happen. Okay. But an agent does not move except out of an intention for an end. Right. So out of going towards a goal. Right. Um, for if the agent were not determined to some particular effect, it would not do one thing rather than another so Aristotelian, right um, right so there's a and lot just, of different that, things right you could do but you ha- there has to be a determination to one such that you do it rather than the other options right and that really just goes back to that opening line right if there was not something to act for mm-hmm. then you do not act that's right, right. so um yeah right okay let's move on yeah consequently in order that it produce a determinate effect it must of necessity be determined, I might say actualized, right, to some certain one, which has the nature of an end. And just the just this determination or actualization is affected in the rational nature by the rational appetite, which is called the will, right? So you imagine, you know, you think about <clears throat> in a human being, you have a lot of alternatives. What, what could I do with the next hour of the day? Right. And you kind of sit there for a few minutes, kind of daydreaming, deliberating. Right. I could spend the next hour doing this, this or this. Right. But at some point you intend. Right. Mm -hmm. That is you apply action. You apply your will to get it done. Right. Right. Not simply to to wish it to happen, but to affect that it happens. Right. Mm -hmm. And that moves you to choose means including getting up out of the chair, right? Right, right. You know, to, to, to carry out what you're going to do for that hour. We do that through rational appetite, right? Which is called the will, right? So there's a very, there's a volitional character right there that, that focuses, I would say, on intention, choice, and command. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that's a very psychological way of talking about um, 
the determination towards an end, right? Uh, proper, to proper to things with a psyche, right? Like a will and so forth, right? But he doesn't stop there. He could stop there, which is really interesting. But of course he doesn't because he, like Aristotle, thinks nat nature acts for an end. So he says, uh, so in other things, that is things that aren't rational, it is caused by their natural inclination, which is called the natural appetite. So is, this, yeah. yeah, so this, yeah, that brings that together. What you were talking about, Joe, is this, we see a parallel here, right? In rational creatures, we have a rational appetite, right? That, and there's very complex and interesting, but it's a rational appetite that involves a volition tour of volitional movements, right? And operations towards an end. In natural things, we don't have that same sort of volition, right? We, so like we were talking about earlier, trees are not intending and choosing, right? right? But they still have a natural inclination towards the development of roots, which is called the natural appetite, right? So again, really interesting uh, uh, comparison there. Did you want to add anything there? Well, just that the, the point, it seems, is that uh, we need this sort of account, right? We have mm -hmm. things that are mm -hmm. acting that are not rational, right? Mm -hmm. Like trees and rocks and dirt and everything, right? So mm -hmm. if these are going to produce any action whatsoever, there has to be a final cause. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. just, just as in, in the example of uh, bridal making and horsemanship, right? If you remove horsemanship, there's no bridal mm -hmm. making. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about how if there were no determination to any particular action through final causality, through mm -hmm. ordination to an end, there right. would be no action. That's Yet right. there is action. That's right. Therefore, right? right there must there be must a determination be. to an end. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. Very good. Okay. And not, and not just action, but regular action, intelligible action, predictable action, right? All those sorts of things, right? So that, you know, uh, somebody who had the art of bridal making, you know, would, would probably do it in a way that's very routine-like, right? Uh, and, and there would be some predictable steps, right? And he might slap the apprentice's hand at some point and say, no, you're doing it wrong, idiot. Right. right? Yeah, I told yeah. you to do it this way, right? <clears throat> similarly, uh, similarly in natural things, right? We see a sort of orderliness, right? This is kind of uh, and predictability, right? That includes action for an end, right? And so we have that that natural inclination as 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 the account of it, right? Does that seem right to you? That natural inclination is the account, right? Towards that yeah. end. So yeah. now we have the parallel set up. I hope that's clear to to everyone. Um, now I'm going to continue on with the, the second half. Now I know reading long form like this isn't the best, but there's the you know go read this for yourself. Uh, again, this is in the first part of the second part. Question one, article two. Could we put body. a link in the description to sure. uh, where they, that would be a good idea for us. Yeah. We'll make sure that that happens. So, um, uh, so I'll continue on here. This is the second part, because this is where he really starts to draw some of the things we want to pay attention to. It says, nevertheless, it must be observed that things tend to an end by its action or movement in two ways. First is a thing moving itself to an end as a man, as man. Secondly, as a thing moved by another to an end, and here's our lovely example, as an arrow tends to a determined end through being moved by the archer who directs his action to the end. Okay. So we've already kind of discussed this some, but you know, if I ask you, uh, you know, what you were doing, I would expect that you could give me an account, right, of your intentions and choices that would explain, say, your behavior over the last hour 
right? Mm -hmm. And that's because your intentions and choices move are, are what is moving you towards that end. That that right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and we could talk about uh, uh, you then as the author, right, of that movement towards an end. But we can't really do that with the arrow, right? The arrow is not the flight of the arrow into the target on a regular basis is not accounted for simply by the arrow, right? Now, after the fact, I think you could see that an arrow is is fitted to do that sort of thing, right? Right. It's, it's, it, uh, you, could, you would, let's say you've never seen an arrow before, but then all of a sudden you see an arrow being shot regularly into a target and you, you examine it, well, you're going to see, oh, this is, this, is, this is a tool, an instrument, you know, to this end, right? Yeah. Um, but the arrow is not a sufficient account. Why? Because all of its composition, first off with an arrow, it's, its composition is artificial. Arrows don't grow, right? right. <laughs> Trees, right? So it's not something natural. And then secondly, even if you were to break it down into its component parts, the wood and the steel and the feathers um, or the iron head, I should say, and then the feathers, <clears throat> they're not sufficient account, right? Uh, again, you can know everything there is about feathers and it wouldn't make you think about the fletching of an arrow or the arrow hitting the target on a regular basis, right? Right. So we can have these two, we have a contrast here between sort of the voluntary self-directed movement of a man, rational animal, and the other directed action of an arrow. Now he draws his conclusion. Therefore, those things that are possessed of reason move themselves to an end because they have dominion. Great word. I love that governance, right? Mm -hmm. Dominion over their actions through their free will. Note, both Joe and I would prefer the translation <laughs> free choice. Yeah, uh, but we'll, because the, we'll, the Latin is not voluntas. It's that's RPGM, right. right? That's right. That's right. Libra Mobitrium. That's right. <clears throat> but that's another podcast. Yeah. Over their actions <laughs> through their free choice, which is the faculty of will and reason. But those things that lack reason, to the arrow, tend to an end by natural inclination as being moved by another and not by themselves. So let me stop there so it can be. The arrow, of course, is, is art. It's not nature. It's a piece of art that's being used here to illustrate what nature is like. So now let's go move back to a natural uh, example. Let's talk about the wolf chasing um, the young caribou, right? So the wolf is naturally inclined to chase weaker and slower prey, right? And so it's going after, like we watch that documentary, there's this documentary on the wolves of Yellowstone that just stands out <laughs> in my imagination. But when you're watching that wolf go across the snow, right, towards that caribou, right? <clears throat> it's like the air, it, it's similar to an arrow shot at a target, okay? So it's, it is true to say it's its nature that inclines it to this action, right? That its nature is like an arrow shot towards, I mean, it would be stupid to remonstrate with the wolf, right? Besides that it can't <laughs> speak or reason. <laughs> it's, it's doing what it does, right? I mean, this is its nature. Is, it'd be like arguing against a rock following, falling, right? Mm -hmm. this, it's shot towards pursuing the caribou. Um, <clears throat> but then the question is, but how so, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. granted that it's shot towards that end. How, how is that the case, right? He says, by another. Right. right. And, and the, the question underlying that is really, why can it not be just by itself? 
That's right. What's the difference between the wolf and man who we're going to say does direct himself to the end, right? The wolf, why does the wolf need to be directed by another uh, rather than himself? That's right. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent point. uh, Way to put it. Uh, And, and, and Thomas is going to give us the answer here. And this is really the key premise, I think, to this way of thinking and that, that opens us up towards thinking about uh, a higher cause, right. That's involved in finality. And so he gives his explanation since they do not know the nature of an end as such. So why do they have to be moved by another sense or because they do not know the nature of an end as such and consequently cannot ordain anything to an end, but can be ordained to an end only by another. So here, right. Joe, it seems what he's saying is look, it's only possible to ordain something to an end if that agent is capable of understanding something as an end, right? It has to, uh, it, it requires an agent who can conceptualize end and means, right? Yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. Right. In order to ordain something to an end, right? So you'd have to be able to understand, um, yeah, you'd have to be you know, able to end, right? To reason, right? So, mm-hmm. um, there's probably a, a, a really uh, a better way to do this uh, than mm-hmm. explain it the way I'm about to. Uh, I'm sure that we could talk about the nature of an end and how grasping the end requires the capacity to grasp uh, the universal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I'm struck by. <laughs> an example from my own dog okay. uh, and his incapacity to reason about things. <laughs> right. So we play this awful game with him where we take his toy mm-hmm. um, and we, uh, <laughs> we act like we're hiding it from him. And then he goes wild looking for it, you know, <laughs> but like uh, he's, he has all of these associations of particulars with the toy and it's being hidden. So mm-hmm. like we, if our hand is empty and he sees that our hand is empty but I stick my hand in the couch like I'm going to hide his toy in there like I have before. Right. But my uh-huh. shoulder, empty hand, I put my hand like he even though his toy is on the floor in front of him, he will <laughs> jump on the couch and go looking for his toy in there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. Because uh-huh. he can't he can't navigate this. Right. He can right, only right. navigate particulars and associations between. Sure. Particular, right. So sure. he has his association yeah. of my hand going in the couch and his toy being in the couch mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he cannot focus on anything else he just mm-hmm. immediately will jump onto the couch to go looking for uh his toy that's right yeah right? yeah that makes sense yeah absolutely uh, yeah that's that's a good that's a good uh that's good on the negative side let me yeah. give you a, a positive account yeah good so let's say you're ra- like you're in raising your children right over time what you want them to learn is how to do things by a plan right uh, how to do things uh, by an order, and 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 really, you know, one of the things you you end up doing is, you know, and I ask my kids this: Why am I telling you to do this? Right? I ask them. Right? I'm trying to get them to think about the idea that there's there's an, a particular end, right? In this case, right, uh, that we want our home to be comfortable and um, uh, and. Uh, be able to find things efficiently and, and do that sort of thing, right? We'd be able to take care of our property and so forth. Um, those would be some of the ends, right? 
that I'm ordering them to clean their room or to sweep the house or things like that, right? What I'm trying to teach them then is the idea of doing things by a plan, doing things on a routine, right? Um, and you might go through a lot of different examples, like in a sport, like in sports, like if you ever have any role as a coach, right? You you spend time trying to get the players to understand this is why we do the routine, right? And so across really the development of a human being, a lot of what we're trying to teach them is to be able to spot the idea of there's a goal and, and in order to execute, in order to achieve that goal, you muster various means, right? And so in the education, right, of, of a human being, really, I mean, we don't think about it this way too often, but you're always learning about how to subordinate various operations to a good, right? This especially comes across if you've ever done anything in the trades or in a craft, right? Where you learn to subordinate various actions towards a specific end, right? Over time, as a rational agent, I think this is true of being a rational agent. A lot of being a rational agent is being able to see that relationship between, right, ends and means. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I'm, I'm lacking the words to explain this well, but it is clear that the uh, the act of deliberation, which is to say the act of evaluating different means in mm -hmm. their relation to an end is something that only reason can do. That's right. Right. Uh, that, that dogs, and you, I mean, you'll see this in dogs, you'll see it in young children. They don't consider different options, right? Mm -hmm. When they, mm -hmm. when they, there's something in front of them that they want, they just go. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And they just right. do it. Uh, whereas a rational agent can set a plan mm -hmm. and execute uh, the plan, right? Sure. A rational agent can set a remote end, That's something right. that is uh, connected with what he's about to do, but is not mm -hmm. the same as what he's doing now. That's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. Though, though, there's there are some difficult uh, examples in animals that might you know come sure. off like uh, beavers, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, you mm -hmm. might think that the beaver that is uh, gnawing the wood, right, is doing mm -hmm. it uh, for the sake of building his his dam, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so what, what would you, what do you think about beavers here? Are they operating intentionally? No, but they are, uh, they are operating with finality, right? Yeah. That is, they are ordered to do that. And the way you can tell that I think is, um, the lack of, uh, variety, right. In beaver dams, right. The lack of development in beaver dams. Yeah. Right? You would think, you know, if your goal, if they could, if they could conceptualize, um, fishing and housing together, right? Uh, then, yeah. you know, surely at some point they would be able to come up with a better version, right? Uh, that they could build or a variety. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. Build, right? I think um, um, to support that, uh, I can't remember the exact nature of the experiments, but I remember some details, but Jean-Henri Fob, right? Okay. Uh, he explored this in animals. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think he used maybe silkworms, um and maybe wasps right i mm -hmm. think the silkworm is the one i remember the best but like uh you might think that the silkworm is acting in this really intricate uh and complex way but the truth is that they're really just responding to some external stimuli that's mm -hmm. sort of directing them to do a certain thing which just happens to produce mm -hmm. uh an end result right but that that's the right. silkworm doesn't know this right so he mm -hmm. could take the silkworm and manipulate the stimuli mm -hmm. and get the silkworm to do something mm -hmm. totally different 
just right. by manipulating the stimuli because the silkworm cannot recognize that what it's doing is ordered to some further purpose. Sure. Right? But that sure. rather it's just going to do what it does sure. and whether, whether it produces that result or not is sort of incidental as far as the silkworm is concerned. That's right. right? It's yep. just responding mm-hmm. to some immediate stimuli, right? Yeah. So you can yeah. manipulate the stimuli and totally change the result in mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the animal will still act the same way. And mm-hmm. I think maybe even a better, more at home example is in the domestication of animals. Sure. Right. Yeah. Where yeah. we take uh, an animal that wants to act a certain way, Mm-hmm. And we just manipulate the situation so that <laughs> it right. works out for our advantage, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the animal's just doing its thing. It doesn't know that it's part of this, right. uh, you know. It doesn't think I'm contributing to the farm, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Exactly. That's right. Um, That's a good example. You know, one other element here that just comes to mind as we're going through this is that when you think about animal cognition, not to muddy the water too too much here, but, you know, we don't want to, we're not trying to deny that, that there's no cognitive activity in animals. Of course, animals do, especially the higher level animals do have, you know, uh, some cognitive activity broadly construed. That is, they can imagine, they can remember, they can associate, they can sense, right? Um, and they can sense in somewhat complex ways, right? They can, they have access to both the proper sensibles and the common sensibles, right? Yeah. Uh, and so when you start to bring all that together, actually, you know, animal cognition can be fairly robust, although limited, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But in that animal cognition, there just is no proper or common sensible that is um, bonum universale, right? Yeah, right. It is, you know, the good in general, right? They just lack the faculty to abstract out a general notion of good such that they could order things to an end. Right, right, right. That's that's good. So like if... uh... A dog can't decide uh, on its own, like whether it's going to uh, drink food or uh, sorry, eat food or drink water. Correct. Right. Because it, it cannot see like this commonality of goodness in the food or the water. Right. It's <laughs> right, going to respond right. to the stimuli of being hungry or being mm-hmm, thirsty mm-hmm. and that there's food in front of me or there's water in front of me. Right? Right. It's certainly uh, not going to moderate itself, like go mm-hmm. on a diet. <laughs> right. Yeah, because it yeah. sees that like there's some good in not eating the food. Right. Sure, it's like sure. I'm stimulated to eat food. I'm going to eat food. Right. And that's why yeah. we have to give our pets diets. That's right. Um, it's they're right. not going to do it themselves. Yeah, right? Black labs are a great example of that. Poor <laughs> things. Right. They just get rotund before, you know, just so <laughs> easily right yeah my pug yeah. is the worst <laughs> well, you, you know, go back to your yeah there you go you go back to your example of uh animal husbandry and so forth that you, know, you think about all the goods that we order animals to that they couldn't possibly conceptualize as good on their own right, right? but we can we can uh, you know for everything from farming to art to warfare i mean or, yeah you know, to, you know like there's so many goods that we can order animals to um that they they would just it literally would never cross their cognitive power. Yeah. To, yeah. To, yeah. That's, grass, that's great. Right? Like you think about the ox that's pulling the plow and farming the field so that it can grow grain <laughs> that you're going to feed the ox with. Right. The that's ox right. has no yeah. idea. The ox is like that's strapped right. in. It's like, ow, <laughs> kicked me. I'm yeah. going to move. <laughs> and, th- yeah, and you think about the constraint and think about the, what you use to provoke that activity, right? You use some coercion, you use some reward, you use very basic kinds of stimuli. You don't yeah. try to convince them of it. Maybe dogs are a little different, but that, you know, I think a lot of what we do with dogs, uh, you know, really trades on their sociability, right? They are social animals, right? Yeah. Yeah. And right. So you, you know, humans have learned these cues and dogs learn social cues such that we are able to kind of give some sort of, I'm pleased with you. 
and mm-hmm. and the dog and dogs are <clears throat> set to recognize that the the superior in a pack and and be pleased that the superior in the pack is pleased with them. Does, does that yeah, make yeah, and we do it with dogs, right? By imitating the very stimuli that the dogs would That's use right. to interact with each other, right? Like a high pitched. Uh, noise might be something either pleasant or painful, depending on how you nuance it, right? Or a very low growling voice would be something, you know, displeasant, right? right? Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's how we we do it, right? We manipulate the stimuli. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. So I hope that I, that's kind of a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I hope that our uh, listeners kind of understand, right, why it's important, right? Because what we're trying to get here is this key premise that without sufficient intelligence right, to recognize end as end, it's not possible to ordain things to an end, right? And I'll just draw here Thomas's, uh, uh, finish out what Thomas says here. Um, He says, for the entire, this is great. So you apply, we have an application of the principle. For the entire irrational nature in comparison to God as an instrument to the principal agent. That's great. I mean, it's just, you know, all of nature compared to God is almost like art. I don't want to go that far, but it's, yeah. it's, it's like an instrument, right? Consequently, it, it, sorry, go ahead. It just, it's, it's like it in the sense that there is an assigned order mm-hmm. to it, right? Because the order can't be found uh, in its own, um, in itself, right? That it That's has right. to be given to it by another. Right? That's right, yeah. Uh, consequently, it's proper to the rational nature to tend to an end. So here we get the proper. It's specific to the rational nature to tend to an end as directing and leading itself to the end, where it is proper to the irrational to tend to an end as directed or led by another. That is specific to, right? So really, we're getting kind of a per se relationship here, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, An essential relationship, whether it apprehend the end uh, as the irrational answer or do not apprehend it. So So I think that's helpful in terms of getting at the um kind of the nub here right which is that irrational rational both irrational and rational agents act for an end rational agents do it by directing themselves to an end irrational agents right do it by being directed by another right and that's because they lack the intellectual hardware essentially to um to do that directing now in saying that that does not deny that the wolf going after the caribou, that that action is built into right the, the nature and being of the wolf, right? That's true, right? The question, uh, so it is intrinsic, right, uh, to the animal, to the wolf. The question is, why are wolves so construed, right, or so constructed? Why is that built into it, Right. And again, you could say, well, nature is passed on through generation, you know, but that's not, that's just still move movers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's still just that, that sort of horizontal level of causality. What we're really going to need is that's not enough. What we need to know, right, is, is how, how it comes to be, why it is that wolves are that way. And to do so, we're going to have to resolve to a higher, um, a higher level of being, right that is intellectual being that's capable of accounting for the fact of something being ordered to an end yeah um maybe an important footnote here uh though it is a footnote right is that 
we're, we're being very clear and we're really pushing the angle that the irrational nature requires another to direct it to its end. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're, we're saying with St. Thomas that the rational agent directs itself to the end, Mm -hmm. but this is not to say that the human agent does not have an an end, which is assigned to him in his nature too. right. Right. So the human, the human nature, just like in this case, the irrational nature has an end, Right. Mm-hmm. And it's it's inescapable. Right. You do right. not choose that. end. so what Thomas calls it is happiness or beatitude. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what you are ordered to. And everything you do, no matter what you want to say, is for the mm-hmm. sake of that end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what the rational agent does, how he does direct himself here is not when it comes to happiness, but when it comes to the thing in which happiness will be found. Right. right. So yeah. uh, Thomas. Yeah. Right. So so Thomas is going to go on from here uh, to navigate away from uh, just the, the notion of the last end itself, which is happiness to, to, to investigate that question. Right. Which is how ought we to direct ourselves so that we can achieve this this end that our nature is ordered to. That is, right. uh, what ought we to choose Mm-hmm. as the thing in which our happiness will be found or rather mm-hmm. uh, what is that one thing which can actually meet or agree mm-hmm. with uh, the end assigned to us by nature. So, so, mm-hmm. so human agents too have an end, which is inescapable. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. We so that, that, that we, we, also yeah. is going to require a, a cause and it's ultimately going to resolve back to God as well. That's right. Yeah. So ultimately, right. God's going to be the account for why we have happiness as our ultimate end. Right. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Now, once we have all this in mind now, right, we've got, I think, a pretty robust sense of, of the Aristotelian picture of nature acting for an end. Also, why it's the case that nature is not a sufficient, it's a true but incomplete explanation of um, action for an end, right? And uh, the sufficient explanation is actually going to, own, we're only going to arrive at that when we uh, reach up to God. And this is in, uh, Thomas deals with this at the, uh, of course, you know, in the Prima Pars, and his fame, uh, that is the first part of the Summa, and his famous uh, Quincavia, that is the five ways. This will be a very short passage to read, but Mm -hmm. I'll stop at each sentence here so we can apply. You know, it's interesting, Joe, having walked through this so slowly, right, especially given the last episode, you know, when you teach the fifth way in an intro class, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of persuasive to some people. Right. But, you know, you, you, you get this like four lines, right. <laughs> you know, And really, you know, it's about two hours of really heavy going conversation to yeah. really understand all the premises that are in the fifth way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you think about it. So, all right. So here we go though. I'm going to read through this um, and I'll stop along the way. The fifth way that is the fifth way of demonstrating God's existence is taken from the governance of the world. We see that things which lack intelligence, now this language will start to feel very familiar to us, right? Such as natural bodies act for an end. Now we've spent a whole episode, right? (laughs) Trying to argue for why why that's the case, okay? And this is evident from their acting always or nearly always in the same way. So as obtained the best result, okay? Action for the good, through the roots of the tree, right? Growing down into the ground. Right, and that qualification you made earlier is important, right? It's the best for that thing. That's right. Right, mm-hmm. specifically is what we're talking about. That's right. Okay, so again, all of this is packed into our previous conversation. Hence, it is plain that not fortuitously, or that is randomly, but designedly, 
do they achieve their end? Right. So again, that's just nature acting for an end. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, whatever lacks intelligence cannot move towards an end unless it is directed by some being endowed with knowledge and intelligence. And here's our example as the arrow is shot to its mark by the archer, right? Uh, I, mean, I just tell you what, you know, sometimes you just hit on the right metaphor and you might as well just not change it for <laughs> a thousand years. Right? You know, like Aristotle gets the archer and the arrow and the conversation and that's it. Like, you know? <laughs> but anyway, so uh, now this should sound very familiar to us given this long conversation we've had that whatever lacks intelligence cannot move towards an end, right? Why? Because it can't conceptualize the end as something right. that would move it. Right. Unless it be directed by some being endowed with knowledge and intelligence as the arrow is shot to its mark by the archer. Therefore, some intelligent being exists by whom all natural things are directed to their end. And this being we call God. So go ahead. Well, so uh, to try to bring this all together here. Right. The we we've been we talked a lot about the stimuli that that uh, that an animal or Mm -hmm. not really a plant, but um, an animal, at least we can run with that example. This, an animal's reacting to a certain stimuli and as a result, it performs a particular action, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, that's not the question. The question is, why does it always perform the same particular mm-hmm. actions, right? That's right yeah. um, it's, it's almost like it has a plan. It's almost <laughs> like the tree's plan uh-huh. is to grow tall, to, uh-huh. to, to develop many leaves, mm-hmm. and to ultimately reproduce and perpetuate its species, right? right it's right. almost like the dog wants to please the, the man of the house so that it mm-hmm. continues to get fed, mm-hmm. uh, but it can't be that way. It can't be that way because the dog can only respond to particular stimuli. It cannot have or mm-hmm. grasp this end that 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 would it would somehow make a plan for. That's right. But all of its actions mm-hmm. happen to act happen to, to be executed as if they are part of a plan. That's right. Yeah. yeah right. Very good. And yeah. and the dog can't make this plan. The plan has to come from something else. That's right. Yep. That's a, that's a great way of developing and explaining it, Joe. I like that. Um, you know, really interestingly, uh, you know, even uh, Darwin uh, conceded in some of his writings, he said, if I look at the world, it looks planned, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and it does. I mean, it just looks planned, right? Especially when you start multiplying examples like bees, bees and wolf packs and things like, you know, especially those kinds of examples, right? It looks planned, right? Um, and, you know, uh, Aristotle and Aquinas can say, well, it looks that way because it is, right? Uh, and so you can say the plan almost is kind of the nature, right? The plan is the nature, right? It, it, it's, it is kind of like, uh, to use some of the language we'd use in, mo- in the modern world about, say, programming, Right. Yeah. You, know, you could say the animal reacts to the stimuli because, in a certain way, and predictably so, because it's programmed to do so. Right. It's designed to do so. Then the question is, well, where did the programming come from? Right. Where did the, you know, uh, where did the design come from? Well, it, it can't come from unintelligent matter. Right. Programming and, um, and, and design come from a mind. Right. Uh, and so ultimately, there must be some mind from which the order of nature uh, is planned, right? Um, you know, I think when you bring all those elements together, it's a, it's a more powerful argument than philosophers tend to, 
tend to think are contemporary philosophers. What do you, what do you think, Jeff? Yeah, this is not um, this is not the common. Uh, maybe it's common. It, so there's an intelligent design argument out there mm-hmm. that uh, it, I call it the "what is the odds" or "what are the odds" argument, right? Sure. Where it, yeah, where it looks at things and it's like there's just no way that this happened without God, right? Uh-huh. Uh, that that trees happen to grow the way they do and that, mm. you know, the, the earth happens to be situated where it is. Uh, mm. the, the chances of that happening are so remote that there has to be intelligence. Right. Um, and it's a stronger argument than that, right? Sure. We're not talking yeah. about probabilities here. We're talking about the fact that uh, anything which is irrational cannot mm. act according to a plan, That's right? right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yet the plan is evidence in the regular and ordered operation of all mm-hmm. things so as to achieve the best result for them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's necessary then. It's not just probable. It's not That's a right. God of the gaps argument. Sure. Right? right. Right. But it's that, that there's it's necessary that there is an intelligence and that is such an intelligence that it can assign plans to mm-hmm. natural things. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. To, to real substances. Yeah. Uh, it can it can give them a sort of assignment. That's right. right. That they yeah. live out on their own. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting when you look back at. Um, yeah. Well, first off, very important that we see that there is a necessary connection here. Right. Right. So in philosophy and Thomas's philosophy, we would call this a per se relationship. Right. Between cause and effect. It's not an incident. It's not incidental. Right. That we're saying that finality essentially depends ultimately on intelligence right there is finality in the world therefore ultimately there must be some intelligence behind that finality right um as you say it's demonstrative it it, it sort of it must be um so I think that's very important, but, you know, this goes really, uh, you know, all the way back to, to, as everything does the pre-Socratics, right. You know, where uh, I think it's, you correct me if I'm wrong to um, Heraclitus, right. Who ultimately says that it's, it's mind, right. Is, is it Heraclitus? Oh, you know, these guys better than I do. I think so it's Heraclitus. To your judgment on this, um, you know, cause I don't, in a lot of ways, I don't like Heraclitus cause he's all into the fucks <laughs> matter. Right. But I, if I'm, I might be confusing him and Anaxagoras right here, but um, the, um, uh, you know, Plato or Socrates says, you know, at some point in his own career that he says, you know, like um, I didn't, I couldn't really make anything of, of natural philosophy until I accepted the idea that mind or logos is what's behind things, right. Behind nature. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, you know, really fascinating, right? You could just think, you know, I mean, you have, you know, the, the earliest philosophers are, are mostly materialists, right? Uh, not all of them, but uh, most of them, uh, you know, everything is water, everything is fire, right? And that, that you know, either fire or water, right? Or, or the, um, uh, um, you know, something else uh, that's like that. Um, but the idea that mind is behind nature, ultimately, right? And necessarily, is a very ancient view uh, and one that comes up again and again in philosophy. And I think, you know, there's different ways to try to, to bring it into view, but I think what Aristotle is really bringing into view here is finality, right? And that finality is the key to seeing how nature necessarily depends upon 
uh, mind, not, not probably, but necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is, you know, now I do want to say that I think at a, um, level, uh, at a different level of knowledge, right. Say so not scientific knowing, but, but maybe probabilistically, right. That design in nature is kind of a, I think it, before the modern era, it was the default position, right? And, and, and the idea that there's some God or gods behind it, some sort of divine, you know, planning, right? It's kind of the default position. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think in general, if, if you weren't a, a Christian, you still thought there had to be some sort of direction, a deist uh, mm-hmm. position at the least, right? Where at yeah. least somebody wound the clock up. <laughs> right. And motion, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. There was there because there wasn't really another uh, good uh, way to interpret the facts, right? That's like right. we have uh, what Empedocles, right? Uh, the mm-hmm. ox progeny. That's right. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, That's right. 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 Yeah. There's just I mean, there's no evidence for that. You know, we're digging mm-hmm. up fossils of all sorts of uh, seemingly functional-looking uh, creatures, right? Mm-hmm. They're not. <laughs> they're not. They're not dysfunctional monsters you know <laughs> but they like they've got a couple of legs and they've got some really sharp teeth that seem yeah. to be ordered to a certain function mm-hmm. right um so there, there really wasn't evidence that we just developed totally randomly but then it, it becomes a little bit more complex when we mm-hmm. start uh looking from uh not all of these totally random parts but we start uh-huh. from very simple parts that gradually become more and more complex sure. through darwinian evolution sure. right. that at least seems more plausible yeah. uh, to people right yeah than the ox progeny but I, but what's great about this argument right is it works regardless of that question yeah. right because even if you do have the idea of some sort of darwinian evolution which i have some philosophical skepticism about but aside mm-hmm. from that I will con- concede this point very clearly that even if it is true, um, that process would still be subject to this, right. Um, you know, um, this kind of finality. Right? Yeah. Even, even if it's not obvious. Right. So like mm. there was a, an early way of interpreting, uh, interpreting Darwin that uh, uh, thought that it, that whatever evolutionary steps are taken are always better. Right. And that was uh, soon sure, soon rejected sure. because it, it's clear that sometimes the mutations don't happen to work That's out right. well. That's right. Uh, yeah. right. But nonetheless, even if mutations don't happen to work out well all of the time, mm-hmm. uh, I think you can say that uh, nature's plan mm-hmm. um, would include. Mm-hmm. certain imperfections i think this is a little complicated sure. and perhaps a bit too far afield right right, right but right. like uh if uh if a, a moth is born uh black rather than brown uh in a forest that's generally going to be bad for that moth and it's going to die because it's camouflage is gone. Sure. right right but right, if it yeah. happens that you're burning coal next to the forest and industrial suit starts to cover the trees then mm-hmm. a, suddenly that black moth is the one that's going to get by Right. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. if nature's goal here is to perpetuate the species of the moth, I think it's totally reasonable that nature herself in the Mm -hmm. reproduction of her members uh, allows defects to obtain. Right. Mm -hmm. So that so that it can try to anticipate the unanticipatable. Mm -hmm. Right. Sure. Sure. Um, That would be my way of trying to. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. That works, I think, in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. 
but um, anyway, yeah, that's good. Um, good. Uh, any uh, any last thoughts there, Joe, about 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 uh, the fifth way, dependent um, nature? Any of that? Well, I think I, I think we basically covered it. I mean that mm-hmm. that one line, uh, whatever lacks intelligence cannot move toward an end unless it's directed by something endowed with intelligence. Mm-hmm. That's the loaded line, right? That's that right. we spent yeah. the the first part of this whole uh, talk. Uh, unpacking that's right right uh it's not it's not necessarily uh clear unless we've done the legwork in the background that's which right. we have and hopefully <laughs> hopefully it's clearer now that's right that's right well joe thanks a lot i really enjoy talking about uh these things with you and talking about nature and really kind of digging into the kind of the 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 underlying things maybe at some point we'll we'll get into the obscure uh um, one of my favorite little obscurities in Aristotle is sort of like the arguments for why things in motion have to have parts, uh, so we can mm. get into some of that stuff, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but you know, when you start to unearth some of this, some of the stuff that you that you hear in Aristotle and Thomas at first, you just sort of like, well, why the heck do you think that, right? You know, it just doesn't sound like immediately convincing, right? Um, but yeah. actually, once you dig into it, you're like, oh no, there's, there's a lot there. So I hope uh, I hope our uh, all of our listeners and viewers uh, um, uh, benefited and uh, from what we talked about, enjoyed it, I hope you found this discussion useful uh, and edifying. Until next time, God bless. <laughs>